ready to take a ride. Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. If you listen, I can hear God's plan. Because the show is about to begin. You're listening. You're listening to the Omega Man Radio Network. Let's do a sound check, Brother Tom. How you doing? Brother Shannon. Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Okay, we are Five connected. by five, as Major would say. <laughs> All right. Everybody, welcome aboard. We're continuing the marathon that we started at 10 a.m. We're live every day, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Okay. We're going to get started. Brother Tom, you want to open us in prayer? Yes. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the, for having this opportunity to minister today and to speak your word and to show the people the things that are coming upon the earth. And we just thank you for this revelation that we can move forward with it and have some idea of what to expect and how we can deal with it. We just thank you. Amen. I say amen to that. Brother Tom, do you have a PowerPoint or a PDF? Do you want people to look yes, at Yes, I today? do. I put it up on Mixler already. Okay, great. Folks, you can scroll down and uh, find it right there. Okay, great. I see it. My friend, the mic is yours. Take it away. Okay. Well, got the disclaimer and the fair use notice because I'm going to use pictures today that are copyrighted in some cases, but because I'm using them under fair use, we can we can still use them. I know sometimes YouTube and other places have their own idea of what fair use is but they're even coming under a few lawsuits because of their abuse of it and it will be interesting to see how the courts interpret these things and going to take you back to Proverbs 28.11 the rich man is wise in his own conceit but the poor man that hath understanding searcheth him out. So, we may not have all the wealth in the world, but if you're rich, you got a target. And every poor man with understanding is going to find out what you're doing and find out a way around you. And... The other scriptures I want to bring up, Daniel 7.24, which for, for the first time discusses ten end-time kings that shall arise. 
and then the 11th, and he'll be diverse from all the others. How he shall be diverse isn't specified, but he's going to subdue three of those kings. I think I have an idea who those three kings may be. And then we go to Revelation 17, verse 3, we talk about a beast and a woman sitting on that beast and having names of blasphemy. And this beast has seven heads, that's seven rulers, ten horns, ten horns of power. And further on in Revelation 17, 12, and 13, and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Unless the kings are together as one, the beast can't rule. Maybe that's something we need to think about. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. It's important to explain all these things carefully. And so we, you have to understand that when Daniel wrote his prophecies and when John Mark wrote Revelation, these ten royal families did not exist. They're just an idea. We've talked about the House of Romanov, which is Russia, that could be the 11th king. And believe me, the Romanovs have lots of scores to settle with the with the Ten Kings. It starts in World War One when they were deposed from their throne in Russia. And even in times prior, because when they called for help against the Ottoman Empire, nobody in Europe was willing. Then we have the Crimean Wars which the House of Vet, which we'll study in a while, tried to engage in the in against Russia. I know history likes to say that, oh, England won the Crimea War. Well, what did they really win? The only thing they succeeded in doing was getting a lot of people killed for a piece of land that's still Russia's. So, and I have a couple of videos. I won't play them now because we're just on on the radio per se. And so, but I have put YouTube links, TikTok links to them. I've put them on both places. And if you download the presentation, you can you can get the links and then you can download the videos. They aren't very long or you can just stream them. Let's move on here. Today, though, we're going to talk about the seven royal families. The reason I call it seven is because there are seven effective rulers. Three are going to go down. We're going to figure out who those three are going to be here in a few minutes. But... 
we first have to identify the Reichs. The first Reich was effectively, and actually the second also, were effectively identified by Nebuchadnezzar when he had the dream of a statue in Daniel 2. And, or an image. And it was Daniel who explained to Nebuchadnezzar what that image would be. That he was the head of gold. That the Persian Empire would be the breast and arms of silver. And the thigh and belly would be the Greco-Macedonian Empire. And then the legs of iron would be the great Roman Empire. And then the feet and toes, which are part iron and part clay, they, they are the Reichs. Rome is the first Reich, or at least is regarded by them as the first Reich. And... But then the Second Reich, sort of debatable as to when it was formed, but most historians say A.D. 800, when Pope Leo crowned an illiterate Charlemagne, Emperor of Rome. And that was his the title given to him. He was Emperor of Rome. <clears throat> Supposedly, the Pope was over him. But you really couldn't tell it. Charlemagne was the head of the Carolingian family, which were indirect descendants of the Merovingians. You go back the family line, the Merovingians were supposedly descendants of kings David and Solomon. And we may find out there's a little bit of a problem with being in Solomon's line. But the Carolingian line would last until 899, when the last, what was it, Charlemagne's grandson died. Then we'd have, for another six decades, we'd have civil wars trying to figure out who the next Roman emperor was going to be. And in 962... Otto I was crowned by Pope John XII as king of the Roman Empire. He became a major force because he would be involved in the Crusades and be one of the major leaders of the Crusades. Probably why Pope John crowned him in the first place is because he knew this guy would be a good leader. But the Crusades were not always as successful as we might want to think. But one of the more famous emperors was Frederick I Barbarossa. He was crowned in 1155 by Pope Adrian IV. Some of you say, Barbarossa, where have you heard that name before? Hitler used his Surname is a code word for his invasion of Russia in 1940. In fact, many of the tactics they used in that invasion of Russia were borrowed 
from the tactics of Frederick the First Barbarossa. Didn't work out for Hitler anymore than it did for Napoleon or Prince Metternich or anybody else who's tried to invade Russia. Let's put the Brits in that list too. The royal families have been trying to invade Russia for a long time. But the term Holy Roman Emperor, Empire was never truly used until 1512 when the Diet of Cologne, a diet is a meeting or a conference. Diet's just a German word. But the name the name they came up with for the country was the Holy Roman Empire of the Germanic Nation. Next, we go flying into the double eagle. That, that was the new symbol that they came up with. And where have we seen that double eagle before? I believe Nazi Germany used it on many of their symbols. But the Holy Roman Empire became a structure by which the ten royal families could develop. And they could create this beast with seven heads, ten horns. And eventually these families would contribute kings to all the nations of Europe and the British Isles. And I don't know if you're following along, Shannon, but the last Holy Roman Emperor was Francis II. I don't know him. Yeah. <laughs> I have a picture on my PowerPoint. If you look at him, he just does not look like a king. Except that, boy, they stuck him with the medals. I can count, count at least nine on there. And I always find it amazing. You know, I can understand a general having a lot of medals because... They've been in a lot of campaigns and done a lot of things. But a king sits back and is nowhere near the battle. They wouldn't want him near the battle. Yet here are all these medals. Francis the second round, he was part of one battle called the Battle of Austerlitz. The battle happened on December 2nd, 1805. And Napoleon defeated the Austrians and the Germans and the Russians in this major battle. Considered, battle of Austerlitz is considered the best, the best tactical planning of any war in any time in history. That's why Napoleon is considered the brill how brilliant he is because of how he managed this battle. And when he managed this battle as well as he did, it pretty much for all intents and purposes ended the Holy Roman Emperor Empire. And what eight months later, 
nine months later, Francis II abdicated his throne. And he also pretty much ended any any hope of a of another one coming forth. In fact, his house, the Habsburg house, we'll study it in a minute, would be on difficult ground from that time forward. So let's look at these ten or look at these royal families. It's not quite certain who they are. We have some ideas. But number one on the list is the House of Vatten. And they have a king right now. And it's out of Belgium. Why do you think they put the big beast computer in Brussels, Belgium? Why didn't they put it in London if England was such a hot place? They put it in Brussels because the House of Vatten is the number one house in the royal families. Everybody else lines up behind them. And they rule Belgium. They've also ruled Poland at various times. They've also ruled several other countries. And also a lot of the different German duchies over the history. Number two on that list is the House of Saxe-Coburg-Gotha. It's a cadet of the Vet line because they're younger. And when you have a cadet line, you have the older brother who gets the throne of the original country. But the younger brothers often become rulers of other countries. And so the Saxe-Coburg-Gotha line, whenever a country in Europe needs a king, this is probably the first family they go to, is the Vatans. And so the House of Saxe-Coba Gotha, or now we call it the Windsor. They had to change it in World War Two because or World War One because they were fighting the Germans. And it didn't look real good for the England to have a to have a German king and be fighting the Germans. So they had to come up with a more suitable line. And so some lord suggested, well, let's call him the Windsor line. And it took. And third on this list is the House of Bourbon or Bonaparte. We've sort of had to merge them together because indeed the House of Bonaparte they also married into a couple other lines we'll talk about later. But they're, they get very intermarried. But the House of Bourbon is most famous for ruling in France. Though right now they also rule in Spain. And... And so... Basically, what we're going to have to 
what we're going to have to do is look at the House of Bourbon and pay attention to it. They're not ruling anywhere but Spain right now. But with every with all the tensions in France right now, there are riots everywhere in this country. And there are people ready to throw the, the current government out. It's almost getting to the same thing it was in the late 18th century with the French Revolution. People are sick of how things have been done. They're just getting sick of how things are done. So, let's keep an eye on the Bourbon Bonaparte family. They may rise as they did before. Because if we've mentioned in the past, first you had Napoleon Bonaparte. And he, at one point in time, he literally had most of Europe. And then, Later on, you had Louis Napoleon III. He wasn't... He, he created a mess for France, which they're still trying to dig out of today. But again, watch for the Bourbon Bonaparte family. They're going to be looking for a chance to get rule back in France. The fourth house in the list is the House of Bernadotte. They rule Sweden and have for a long time. The number five one is the House of Orange. They're the ruling family in the Netherlands. Some of you say, well, the Netherlands isn't a very big country. No, not really is, but in economic power, they're still one of the largest powers in the world. And some of you may remember from your history classes that the House of Orange also ruled in England for a time. Some might remember William and Mary and the Great Revolution of 1688 when they came over and ruled and agreed to let them have a Republican form of government. Number six on that list is the House of Oldenburg-Glucksburg. They rule in Denmark and in Norway. And they also have claims to the northernmost province in Germany called Holstein. We get our Holstein cows from this part of Germany. Just side note there. But then the messy thing comes with the German Royal Lions. And believe me, the German Royal Lions are being are very interested in the problems in Germany right now. And in Austria, there are riots breaking out in those countries. You won't hear it on the mainstream news. But there are riots everywhere. And the whole place is about to come apart. And we're seeing pictures of these gentlemen that might be in a very interesting place to take rule in these countries. Number one on that list is the House of Habsburg-Lorraine in Austria. 
And you say, oh, that, that nobody's ruling there. Well, it should be noted that the first World Economic Forum meeting in 1971, who was the keynote speaker? Otto von Habsburg, the crown prince of Austria. He still has that title. Right now, though, he died a few years ago, and his son, Karl von Habsburg, is the current crown prince. We probably know him, if, especially if you follow the, the race car circuits in Europe. Karl von Habsburg was a very famous race car driver. I don't know that Dad was too happy about it, but indeed, it just makes him a little more attractive. And somewhere along the line, if things don't get better in Germany, these guys could be smiling. The second house that could be smiling in all of this is the House of Hohenzollern. And I know Major Baird is probably saying, Tom, you could do a better job of pronouncing his name. But the last Kaisers were from this house. And... I do have a picture of the crown prince of Germany right now. And if things aren't straightened out soon in Germany, Olaf Scholz has been a disaster. And now people are realizing that the daughter of Hitler was also pretty much a disaster. And then the third one in this list is the House of Cronenberg. In fact, there's a rather famous director by the name of Cronenberg. There's several others, too. It's a, rather, it's a rather common name in a lot of upscale circles. But they got their most notoriety in the TV show Grimm. And I show a picture of a newspaper article on the TV show. And they made sure to mention Cronenberg, even though he never used the name. He was always Eric Renard. And the prince was aptly portrayed by James Frame, who's a rather good actor, very good at what he does. And then the fourth house that we need to at least take a little notice of is the House of Wittelsbach. They were once Holy Roman Emperors. I think two or three of their family members actually ruled the Holy Roman Empire. They've also been on the throne in Hungary and in Greece and in Bavaria. But right now, one of their descendants who married into the Bourbon family they now rule Spain. And they tend to have claims other places, but I don't pay much attention to them because that's why they're number four on the list. And some others that could be in the mix is the House of Hanover. Some of you might remember that 
King George II, Third, and Fourth, Queen Victoria, they were all Hanovers. But the House of Hanover married into the House of Windsor. So supposedly it's extinct. But well, like with all these houses, there are children sometimes that get lost. They lose track of them. The next one on the list of others receiving votes, the House of Nassau. Say Nassau, where have I heard that word before? Well, the capital of the Virgin Islands is named Nassau. And the Virgin Islands were actually discovered by a German explorer in the province of Nassau. Another one that nobody really pays much attention to, but maybe they should, is the House of Supplenberger. And the reason is because of the last syllable of the word burger is on a lot of surnames in the United States. And it's not just the name of the district attorney who also lost to Perry Mason dozens of times. Burgers are rather common surname in the United States. And when people came into Ellis Island to receive or be allowed to be come to the United States, many times the people registering them, they'd hear the word Supplenberger and they'd say, no, your name is Burger. So we got to pay attention to all these these kings could come out of any one of these houses. The other one is the House of Württemberg. And Frederick II was their most famous ruler. And they come out of the Rhine River area as well. The Rhine River made for a very, very, very nice area because you could get a lot of crops grown create a lot of food not only to feed your people but to trade with others but now we come to the third Reich we have the first Reich which is considered Rome we got the second Reich which is considered the Holy Roman Empire third Reich is Nazi Germany and Nazi Germany controlled all of Europe with the exceptions of Sweden, Finland, Switzerland, and Spain. But let's look at the outliers. Finland actually aligned with Nazi Germany early in World War II and used that alignment to take back land they had lost to Russia in World War I and years previous. So they... They used Nazi Germany, I'll be the first, but they were not going to go against any of the interests of Nazi Germany. Sweden stayed out of the war, but they were still large contributors to their steel resources. <clears throat> and they did not care if Germany came in and did archaeological research. They were looking for that Aryan race. 
they thought Sweden might actually be one of the places where it could be. And Sweden said, go in, dig around all you want. We don't care. I think I would care to have somebody come in digging our place up. But in any case, they knew better than to argue. Because they knew that Nazi Germany could take them out any time. And then we come to Spain. Do you remember in 1935 to 38, Nazi Germany went in and helped General Francisco Franco take over the government of Spain. And Hitler installed Franco as dictator, almost with the understanding that if you want if you want our help, you will you will sit back and give us what we need. And most people don't realize Spain actually contributed troops to the Russian front. Germans didn't care much for them, but still manpower is manpower. And if Spain's willing to contribute, and I use that sort of in quotes, because they sort of realize that Germany could strong arm them if they had to, but Franco understood. Franco also understood that if things didn't go well for Germany, they had a safe haven in Spain. One of the first places Hitler went after he escaped Germany at the end of World War II was Spain. And it was Franco's doctors who nursed Hitler back to health after his awful medical care under Theodore Morel. In fact, there's a couple of really good really good documentaries on Theodore Morel. He actually came up with a concoction that he gave to all the German troops in the Battle of France. Turned out it had a large portion of methamphetamine in it. So no wonder the troops could go for 30 hours at a time. They were high and going strong. And it's no wonder they over overdid the French. But unfortunately, there was a side effect to that little concoction of Dr. Morell's. They ended up being dope addicts the rest of the war. And then finally, the last country on the list that wasn't directly controlled by Nazi Germany was Switzerland. But again, Switzerland knew Nazi Germany could take over any time. So they're more than willing to cooperate. And Nazi Germany would use Swiss banks to launder their money to the rest of the world. And I will, will say Hitler did consider invading Switzerland at one time. But it was Martin Bormann who overruled the idea. He needed the banks if he was going to use his or put his 
readout plans into operation. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And for some of you who don't know, here's what Nazi Germany looked like at the height of its of 1943. They had a good chunk of Russia. They had taken over the Ukraine. They had all of Poland. They had all the Baltic states, France, Italy, because they, after Mussolini was deposed, Germany just went in and took over all of Italy. They also had all the Balkan states. Greece. The Ottoman Empire was, how would you call it, a pocket ally of Germany. They weren't about to go against Germany because Germany helped them in a lot of ways. But Turkey was going to stay out of the war. They'd taken a beating in World War One, and they weren't about to take another one in World War II. And as they explained to Hitler, they weren't prepared. And Hitler promised to get them prepared. But, well, I don't know how far that got. But I wanted to let everyone see a map here and see that indeed he controlled most of Europe in one way or another. And we're just, we can just thank our Heavenly Father. He didn't get any more land. But at the end of 1943, disaster began to strike Germany. The Battle of Stalingrad. They lost their entire Sixth Army, which is about six, seven hundred thousand men. And when you lose an army of that size, you're, the rest of the troops are not going to be able to cover that loss. And Martin Borman was one of the first to get that figured out. He realized that, one, he, he was going to have to take matters into his own hand and find a way to do so, so that nobody knew he was doing it. So, basically what he did, because he controlled the stationery and the letterhead and everything, is he made Herr Hitler look like he was a Fuhrer of Germany, but, they, but all the ruling was through him. And quite quickly, he got connected with Dr. Joseph Goebel, Goebbels, that's how it's pronounced, and his propaganda ministry, and they, they were very, very good at making everybody think that Hitler was in charge. And in fact, I have a little slide here. The Third Reich selling a Fuhrer to the world. And... You'll see, I mean, there are just countless pictures of Hitler either giving speeches or in front of maps telling his generals what to do or appearing to. However, most people don't understand. You do not 
you do not command troops from a bunker in Berlin or the Wolf's Lair or from, oh, I can't remember the place in Bavaria he hung out. Battles are run on the battlefield. And the generals there are pretty much going to have to do what they're going to have to do. And Hitler will have very little say in it. And Bormann even understood that he would have very little say. But Nazi Germany was was doing a sleight of hand. They were putting Hitler in front of us so that we would think he was in charge. While Bormann was the hand that you didn't see that was doing all the stuff. It's a sleight of hand. And Bormann was very, very good at it. And one of the things Bormann understood probably better than anybody in Germany was that he needed to protect Germany's brain power. Nazi Germany had plenty of scientists and he was horrified to find that some of these great scientists were on the front lines in the Russian front. And the Russian front was not a good place for these guys to be because four out of five Germans never came back from the Russian front. So Bormann decided he needed to identify who these scientists were and to get them out of the front lines and back doing what they're supposed to be doing, that they're supposed to be that they're supposed to be doing they're supposed to be doing research so he started going through every academic record of all Germans who had attended the university since about 1920 and he worked to identify all those people with who had the best academic and scientific potential and to get them off the front lines and to get them doing the work. But he also didn't just do it by himself. He was very good at getting second and third tier generals to work with him on this project. We're going to give you an example here in a minute. Because Borman did this behind the scenes, our biggest job now is to try to find all these guys Borman identified and to see what's happened to them. Honestly, we don't know what's happened to most of them because Borman did all his work in secret. That you look at that picture on my PowerPoint and people have claimed to have seen this man all over the world. And I don't think all those people were wrong. I don't think all those several hundred people could be wrong. And one of the most classic cases and one that we could probably spend a lot of time with was Dr. Joseph Mengele. He started out the war on the Russian front. We would call him a MASH doctor today. 
He was on the front lines and he took care of the soldiers when they got wounded. He was a doctor. And, and nobody really paid much attention to him until he won an Iron Cross first class for pulling two men out of a burning tank. I guess he was burned rather badly and he was sent to Poland to recover. Germany still has the best plastic surgeons in the world. That's why Dr. Mengele looks pretty good, even though he's he had all these wounds. But he went going to Poland was an opportunity for Mengele. He got a chance. And he used his Iron Cross to get that chance. He went to see a man named Dr. Carl Genskin. He was in his late 50s, and he ran the medical corps of the Waffen-SS. And if there's one thing German general will give time to is somebody who's won an Iron Cross, it's worth buying him lunch. But... Mengele used the opportunity to explain his research ideas to Dr. Genskin. And Dr. Genskin found that very interesting, some of his ideas. We'll find out what those ideas are in a minute. So what does Dr. Genskin do? He starts checking into this Mengele guy. And, well, let's go see the resume of Dr. Mengele. Turns out, he had two doctoral degrees. He had a PhD from the University of Munich in anthropology in 1935. After he gets done with that degree, he goes to the University of Frankfurt. And in three years, not only does he win a medical degree, he's an MD, but he got it come laud, which meant he had very good grades. And he did that in three years. Most people take four years to get through medical school. And then he starts checking around a little more and found, found this guy had written a bunch of scientific papers and they were all highly regarded in the medical community and he start he suddenly decides right then and there this guy's not going back to the Russian front I'm going to keep him right here under my thumb at Auschwitz we're going to start doing research and the interesting thing to know is Dr. Genskin pulled him in, let him set up a lab at Auschwitz. And he had literally thousands of unwary subjects available for his research. That right there at Auschwitz. And Dr. Genskin was more than willing to encourage the young man to do his work. And... It, and when it came time and when the war was over, Dr. Genskin 
let himself be captured so that Dr. Mingley could get on with his research somewhere else. And Dr. Genskin would end up being part of the doctor's trial at Nuremberg. He would get 20 years. However, an interesting thing happened to Dr. Genskin. In 1954, suddenly his his sentence was commuted and he went to work for a, a pharmaceutical company in Germany. And he worked there till he died in the late 50s. What was this guy doing that suddenly they just let him go? I'm still trying to get that answer. Let's go back to Mengele for a minute. A couple things I want to note. In the 1960s, both of his doctoral degrees were revoked by their universities. I don't have specific dates on them, but they, Dr. Mengele still had the knowledge and he still did the work. And, but revoking their degrees is something universities have the right to do. But actually, American troops did have Mengele in custody after the war. But they, they let him go. They didn't realize who they had. He works in a far, on a farm in Germany for a couple of years. And when his chance to get go through the rat lines goes through under Operation Odessa, he goes into Italy and then from Italy catches a, sh a ship for Argentina. And he sets up in Argentina and Paraguay. By the way, Paraguay actually was an ally of Nazi Germany at World War II. Most people don't realize that. And Paraguay was more than happy to see the likes of Mengele. They were more than willing to let him set up labs in Paraguay in the Triple Frontier, which is sort of a bad place in this world. But he would go down there he would run labs there, and eventually he would get people running labs. He would identify other doctors in Nazi Germany, and I've started to identify some of them myself. And they've continued this research, but what was this research in? I don't believe what's written in the history books. I've come to the point where much of what's in our history books in high school and college are literally garbage. Dr. Joseph P. Farrell has talked about in his books the Allied legend, which is how they want us to see the end of World War II. And what do they do? They cover up all the things the Nazis have done. Suddenly it doesn't matter that Werner von Braun, when his, the workers in his rocket plants didn't work hard enough, 
you take a, a dozen of them out there behind the behind the wall of the factory and have the SS gun them down in cold blood because they didn't work fast enough. In my book, that's a war crime, and he should have been he should have paid for that. But no, we needed rockets more. We needed to keep up with the Soviet Union more. So I guess it's okay to kill some, but not others. But with Dr. Mengele, he was so notorious, they had to take him to South America. They could not move him to the United States under paperclip. And honestly, I don't think since this was all done in Poland, which came under Russian purvey at the end of the war, we really never knew what Mengele was doing. Yet, on a one TV show, TV show called Fringe, it's one of the characters, Dr. Walter Bishop, suggested that Mengele was working on viruses and that his viruses could affect how how people react to various sicknesses. And could he make a virus affect one race and not another? And could that be the work Dr. Mengele was working on? Well, you know what we're going to do, Shannon? We're going to look at some Bible codes. Okay. But I had to ask myself one question before I could do that. Did Dr. Mengele know of the existence of viruses? Because I wasn't sure when they discovered viruses and what they knew about viruses back in the 1930s. Well, I did a little research and found out that medicine has known about the contagium vivium fluidum, or viruses, since the late 19th century. In fact, that word toxin, which appears in the Bible, was used to describe them in the late 19th century in various medical lectures. So, I put up some trial Bible codes to see if this is possible. Well, I did one here in Exodus 6, verses 20 and 21, and I found a hit on the two words, Mengele and virus. And they, it was very, one letter in common, two, two letters touching, and the skip rate is 12, which was a little stunning to me. Skip rate on virus was 12, and on Mengele was 25. And suddenly, we, we have something here. Let's look at another one. Go to Numbers 35, verses 33 through chapter 36, verse 1. This one at a skip rate of 58. And here again, we see the word virus, mingla, and we see a third word. In fact, mingla's name, the last three letters in Hebrew, 
are also the Hebrew word for discover. And indeed, that is what Mengele was good at. He was good at discovering things. Boy, wouldn't it have been nice if we could have had him working for the good guys instead of for the bad guys? Oh boy. Here we have another one. This time in Deuteronomy 9.21. And the verse this comes from is very interesting. And I took your sin, the calf which he had made, and burnt it with fire and stamped it and ground it very small, even until it was as small as dust. And I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mount. So here we have Joseph Mengli creating a virus in this thing. And we're talking about the golden calf and what Moses did to it. This is research that I would have prayed never came to light, but it did. And here's another one yet. This one comes out of Numbers 26.14. This one's in a crisscross pattern. I don't much like them because it's harder to add words to. And then we have here another one yet. Deuteronomy 2, 9 through 14. And here we have an interesting verse. Deuteronomy 2, 14. And the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we were come over the brook Sarah was 30 and 8 years until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the host as Yahuwah swear unto them. So basically this was designed to get rid of a certain group of people. That was the men who listened to the spies, the ten spies that gave the evil report. And after they bewailed the fact, oh, we're stuck out in the desert, and we can't go in the promised land because there's too many giants. The fortifications are too big. We just can't do it. So what did our Heavenly Father tell them? Well, since you won't believe me, you're going to die in this desert, just like you say your kids were going to do. Well, now we suddenly see Mengele code and discover all in the same code. You're going, wait a minute. This is happening a little bit too often. Here's another one, not quite as mathematically significant. Also in Numbers 33. And Again, we see Mengele coming off as a tail off of the word virus. That's sort of interesting, not as mathematically significant as the others, 
but it's making us realize we got to consider this a little more. Well, so I started adding some other words. I started wondering, how did Mengele come to all this? And the first word we got was accursed. Yeah, I would consider Mengele a curse. But the word next to accursed told a bigger story. It was the word necromancy. This guy was communicating with the dead to get his research. Somewhere in all his studies at the University of Frankfurt, he ran into somebody who had originally studied viruses. So instead of grunting out the work himself again and reinventing the wheel, he goes to a seance. I don't see any evidence he ever did a seance on his own. But this one is... This one suggests he went to a lot of them. And the seance thing is going to become quite a problem. Because as we start to do a full code, and I have the printout here for it, we find out that indeed he was using false priests and shemarims. You can read about shemarims in Zephaniah 1. But it basically states that Joseph Megley was researching on viruses to use them as chemical weapons. My explanation is on the next thing. He created, wanted to create chemical weapons. And he didn't care who he had to consult to get this. And he was... He didn't hesitate to cheat if it would benefit. Then suddenly we find out there's more necromancy going on. Seems like Trump's friend, Dr. Fauci, he also uses necromancy to talk to Dr. Mengele. It seems that Dr. Fauci has been channeling Dr. Mengele to create these chemical weapons. But it seems Fauci has some very powerful helpers in his work. The Watchers have been helping him. A demon named Therion. Therion means beast in Greek or in Hebrew. And if you do a, you add up his name, it comes out to 666. This is not some guy. He's finding this effort very important. And it seems they've been doing this for a long time. 
We've talked about it in the past. I won't, I'll just mention it in passing now. But it should be noted that players in most professional sports are taller, heavier, and faster than just a couple of decades ago. And it seems to correspond with the application of vaccines in children starting in the mid-1960s. And when I was a kid, we used to go over to the lunchroom and we'd get a sugar cube loaded with a, va- with a polio vaccine in it. And I, I know my parents approved because I had to take these papers home and my parents signed them, took them back, and I got the vaccine. We also know from this code that they're getting their primary funding from the CIA. We will explore this further. We're not going to let this go. And I see we're running just a little bit late, so I'm going to... Do you have another program after this, Shannon? No, this is the last one. Okay, so I can run over just a little bit. Sure. And, but Martin Borman, we saw what he did with Joseph Mengele, and it turned out to be a very good move he made. Because when Borman died in 1959, he had stomach cancer. His doctor was Dr. Mengele. And Mengele was better at creating things than he was at curing them. Apparently, Martin Borman had stomach cancer and died but he handed the reins over to Mengele who ran ran the Nazi efforts until the mid 70s when he'd started to get to the point where he couldn't do it anymore but the other thing Martin Borman started to do at the end of the war was he started to move large amounts of money into numbered Swiss bank accounts that way, the allies, allies could not track the money back to Nazi sources. They were very good at that. They also used banks in other places, too. Go down to the Cayman Islands, down by where Major Baird is. There's quite a bit of Nazi money still hidden in those banks. But he also had talks with Vatican officials about how to move German soldiers to locations in South America. And I put a picture up of Hitler with Pope Pius XII. They had very good relations. They should, because by calling themselves the Third Reich, they actually came under the, under the purvey of the popes, starting with Pius XI who ruled from 1922 to 39. He oversaw Mussolini going into power in 24, Hitler in 33, and also Pius XII. We just saw a picture. That was Pope number two. Pope number three, John XXIII. He only stayed in office five years. He was old and decrepit and really was the perfect choice to be a pope. Paul VI, he stayed in 15 years, died in 78. 
I left out John Paul I simply because he didn't he didn't really rule for very long and had very little effect. But John, and actually John Paul I, if he had stayed in office, would have would have dismantled the whole thing. That's why they had to get rid of him so quickly. So they had they had John Paul II. He went from seventy eight to two thousand five, something like the fifth longest running pope in history. And then you have from 2005, ex-Nazi Hitler Youth, Pope Benedict XVI. And even though he stepped down in 2013, there's lots of questions as to whether he properly stepped down. So he went from 2005 to 2012. And from and then we have the papacy of Francis the First. He was placed in office March thirteenth, twenty thirteen. The two thirteens are a little significant to me as they would be to Al Cuppet if were he alive. And I know some conservative Catholic Writers are considering Francis an anti-pope even now. And they consider the papacy vacant. Um, but the biggest thing Mormon did was he convened a meeting in Strasbourg, France. And I have a picture here of Dr. Scheid. I remember, oh, probably three, four years ago when I was covering this meeting, I mentioned I did not have a picture of Dr. Scheid. Well, I finally found one on a German website. And, but Borman did not go to this meeting himself. That's how he was. He asked Honorary Lieutenant General Dr. Otto Schein to chair this meeting and to run it. And he did a very, very good job. All the German industrials were at the meeting along with every high-ranking member of the SS except Martin Bormann. But most notably, Heinrich Himmler was not there. In fact, I think... Heinrich Himmler was going to be sacrificed to the Allies. And you know, the other interesting thing is we noticed that Hitler wasn't aware of this meeting. And we, we also now are starting to get indications from the Bible codes that I posted on my website that Alan Dulles was at this meeting. And he, that he was in the process of being inducted into the Order of the Black Sun. And they needed him in the Black Sun so that he would suddenly 
be more willing to set up Operation Paperclip and get a lot of them to either South America or to get them nice jobs in the United States of America, which a lot of them get. And Borman did one other thing that surprised me a little bit. But I noticed that he seemed more open to working with the royal families than Hitler ever was. Hitler did not trust the House of Hohenzollern and would not work with them in the least. But as we've seen in other situations, Martin Bormann had his own idea, and that's what he did. So suddenly, castles became handy places to stash people that were wanted by the Allied governments. So, basically, the better people were paperclipped to America, but the more notorious ones went to South America, sometimes to Africa, a few went to Indonesia, where Shannon is. Yeah, I was um, listening to Peter Lavinda. Uh, uh-huh. It was on YouTube at graveside of a man who some believe was uh, Adolf Hitler himself buried over here. And um, it's over in, I think, Surabaya, if I'm not mistaken, or somewhere near there, one of these islands. But I thought, uh, while over here, I'd go investigate it and go check it out. So I might just do it one of these days. I would like it if you would. And if you'd get me some pictures, I would love it. And with cell phones, it's easy to get pictures. Interesting and, story. And while I don't believe it probably was Hitler, um, there was definitely a German doctor over here. And uh, probably SS and... Um, no telling how many actually came to Indonesia. There may be more than we know. And that's maybe one of the reasons you're here, there, <laughs> to investigate some of this stuff. <laughs> and now as your sons are getting a little older, you, they can help you do it. I would certainly like to go over there and check it out. And there's a booklet written by um, an Indonesian man who apparently had contact with this guy and uh, the passport of the dead doctor and some other personal documents uh, uh, survives. And uh, there we are. That's all that I can tell you about it at this point. But um, I'm looking into a book right now by Peter Lavenda, uh, who, who's got Unholy Alliance and uh, a couple other books on Nazis and occultism. And uh, His books are very interesting. I've read several. And George Ann Hughes used to have him on. Especially, oh wow, I didn't know that. Uh, George Ann Hughes show. Um, yeah. He actually was one of the few people to make it up to Colonia Dignidad and back on live and met Paul Schaefer in, I think, 1979 or 1980 there. And he tells a story about mm-hmm. it, very interesting. In Chile. Yeah, that's not too nice a place to go even today. Right. Although I'd be just to check it out. <laughs> well, you might be able to get by because your Spanish is a lot better than mine, and <laughs> my German is still terrible. 
might be interesting to send Major Baird down there, but I don't know that I want to risk him on something that dangerous. I think it was forced uh, into being sold uh, and money taken and given to some of the survivors. The Chilean government finally, I think, uh, did some reparations to the people that were tortured over there. Because that place, that was notorious as a torture camp under Pinochet and uh, the Dina secret police and probably one of many torture locations in Chile. Back to you. Yes. Okay, well, I'm going to put us, I'm going to stop it here. Cause, okay, what shall we title I this for the archive? This one is just the Seven Royal Families, part one. Okay, part one, it is. I want you to give out your contact information. Anything else okay. you'd like to mention? Okay, if you I have it all on I have it all on the PowerPoint, but if you don't have access to the PowerPoint, you're listening just on the radio or on the or on Oh if you're listening on or on the phone. Because I know you still have that 319 number, which I find interesting because it's Eastern Iowa. I don't have it anymore. That was tied into Blog Talk Radio, and Blog Talk is gone now. Oh, uh, really? What we do is uh, we use right now just MixLR exclusively. So you can tune in with the app or from any device, omegamanradio.mixlr.com, or my website. I've got a player embedded. So that's where you tune in. And then um, archives are on Podbean. Uh, I do want to mention something very briefly. I was uh, attempting to upload some episodes today, and apparently we've hit our limit, which is shocking to me because I I had the pro account. So I'm hoping to have that sorted out and probably will over the weekend, but it will probably be a few days before we're able to put up any more because they said I've exceeded my account limit and uh, I'm waiting on a response back to him. We're going to try to just upgrade it, and then we should be back in, back uh, to upload. Well, send me the send me the recording, and I'll make sure it gets on live on the edge so people can sure listen to it. We certainly will. And uh, back and to, it may just have to come to the point where you're going to have to load these on. I know it'd be a massive job, but. You may have to just start loading them on your own website. Well, I'm looking into that very thing, uh, getting our own server space, because um, the issue you've got is you need hard drive space, which is not that difficult to get, but you need to be able to have the uh, bandwidth for people to stream or download. And we're working on that. I just need a higher tier account, I think, on Podbean, but... um, there's a, a that or like I say, another place you can go and get yourself a good website is GoDaddy out of Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, I use GoDaddy for years, um, exclusively for my registrar just about, but hosting. Um, I've, I've used they have them. improved that considerably. Yeah, I find I I have so much space on there that well, even though I've been putting up videos like crazy on all my sites it's been 
I still have more than I'll ever use. Well, what we're talking about right now, uh, just at where we're at, is one terabyte bandwidth a day. And uh, that's if we get 10,000 downloads of any shows combined. And um, that exceeds most of these podcasting platforms, but not all. I didn't have an issue with SoundCloud, but um, there's some other problems inherent with them. So we're, we're trying to find another way to do it. And we'll sort it out, but we'll have some news over the weekend probably. But um, I am looking into the um, a server, and uh, it'll give us two terabyte of hard drive space, which could hold the whole archive, and unlimited bandwidth. So more news to, to come. But back to you. Uh, give out your contact information one more time. How do they reach you if they want to write you? Okay. We're in the process of working on a new new main website it's whitestonefoundation.org so keep an eye out for it and we're upgrading there i also have biblecodes.co that's where i put all my research i found it keeps me out of a lot of trouble if i just post everything i do then there's no secrets no reason to shut me up because the damage is already done and if you want to email me, it's tom.mac at whitestonefoundation.org. And we'll, as I said, we are continuing to work on these things. And it's a lot of work, I know, but because I insist on coding my own websites. You're doing a great job over there. LiveOnTheEdge.com. Folks, go check it out. Uh, Tune in again next week for more with Professor Tom. Uh, Brother Tom, you mentioned uh, George Ann Hughes. Yes. uh, I was in contact with with her one time. I used to listen to her back in 2005 from Panama. You know, she had one of the first podcasts out there. Uh, Great stuff. Um, She died, of course. What happened to her podcast archive? Does it exist? Well, I've been trying to get a hold of her son because I would be more than happy to host the whole thing. You think he still has the files? I don't know if he does or not. I remember a time in 2005 where she put out a plea for help just to, um, I mean, uh, just to um, find some file storage space. And uh, I wrote to her, I said, what do you need? She says, I only need 50 bucks. I sent her $50, 2005. <laughs> and uh, boy, <laughs> that's not much at all. And uh, the poor lady, uh, she did such a great job. And um, it would be sad if those archives didn't survive because there were some great programs up there. I haven't dug yeah. in deep, but if you can find her son, that would be the place to go. I would sure like to listen to some of the Peter Lavenda stuff. And uh, how many interviews did you do with her? Oh, probably a dozen. Wow. Terry Jefferson did some, too? Um, Terry Jefferson did a lot. That's amazing. Also, she did Joseph Farrell. Really? Oh, wow. And, oh, there's a a physicist she had on there, and I'm trying, trying to remember his name. He had some interesting ideas, and... Uh, do, 
did you ever come across Spitfire Radio? No. Familiar with that? Okay, just curious. I was doing some Mingalay research and came across it, and it's a um, it's a radio program been around for years. I'm gonna try to get the guy on the program. So many great archives out there over the years. Well, let me get back to a fo- uh, focused here on our program tonight. Great work you did, and um, we'll call this part one. Um, you want to close us in prayer tonight, Tom? Yes. Heavenly Father, in the name of Yahushua HaMashiach, we come before you. We just ask that you would send this program out far and wide. We're close to the end. We're close to the end of all things, at least in this age. And we're close again on the time of your coming. We just pray for everybody here that because this is not a time we're supposed to look forward to but yet we do because of the wickedness of this generation and the horrors that they propose to bring upon this world but they're not the final say you are and we just pray you would deal with them and deal with them appropriately. We just thank you for hearing our prayers and thank you for giving us this time that we can send this message out just one more time. Amen. Amen. Love and appreciate you, Brother Tom. Thank you for coming on. And uh, by the way, the uh, program you all did two weeks ago is the most downloaded podcast of all we've got up there on Podbean right now. So Oh wow. Yeah, man. I'll have to number one mention that to Major Bear because <laughs> I need to send this over. Okay. This presentation over because I'm sure he'll have plenty of comments on it. I, you know, get, we spend a lot of time in Europe and here's what I'll do. Uh, because I'm frozen at Podbean, I'll uh, cut it and I'll put it on your Skype for you. I can upload it there. So that's oh, great. And then we should have it all straightened out over the weekend, I hope. God bless you, Tom. We'll see you next time. Okay, thank you for having me on. All right. You have a great day over there, brother. Bye-bye now. Once again, folks, uh, we are frozen temporarily, but I'm just waiting for customer service support to tell me which account I need to upgrade to. We should have it fixed over the weekend. Um, We have hit our limit, but better to know these things um, than not and invest too much more time over there but I think we'll be able to work out a solution with them and um, I'm also looking for some backup options so if we have this issue happen again I'll just say go over to um, site number two okay that's all I have to say Uh, God bless you I hope you've enjoyed this week's programs again we're caught up uploading everything up through yesterday and titled Um, check out also our Reloaded channel, that's omegamanreloaded.podbean.com our main channel omegaman.podbean.com and the links to those are at my website, omegamanradio.com if you want to sign up for my mailing list, it's Substack you can go over there and get the link there from the website Uh, everybody have a great weekend and if you want to contact me you can do it through my website we'll see you Monday, God willing have a great weekend, thank you